We're going to pick up in verse 17 here in John chapter 11 as we now uh, pick up part two of this study that I've entitled Our Final Foe, this, this dealing with what lies ahead for all of us because like it or not, uh, every one of us had a first breath when you were born and you're going to have a last breath someday. And that last breath may, may be when you're well-aged. It may be when you're young. It, it could be in your middle years. It has been appointed to us one time to die. And the judgment, our, our Bible says, and so the Lord has a divine appointment for us when our physical life will be over. But it is not the end of your life. Because every last human being, every person that's ever been born, is actually eternal in the sense that you're going to dwell someplace for eternity. The only question is where? Where are you going to spend that eternity? There are two options that have been laid out here in the Gospel of John. And one is eternal life through Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior and heaven. Or eternal separation and damnation ultimately to be cast away from God for eternity and hell and even a second death according to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. And so Jesus is now going to get very specific about the reason that he delayed in coming to the aid of Lazarus and his sisters Martha and Mary. And so would you join me and we'll pray and ask God to bless our time in the word and we'll pray Uh, for the tragedy that occurred on Friday in Texas at the same time. Father, we first and foremost are are just so grieved by what's going on in our country, Lord, that that life uh, once again taken, uh, innocent life, and we just pray, God, that you would transform the hearts and minds of the people of this country, that we would turn to you and turn away from sin, turn away from this violence, God, you are the answer, Jesus. You alone are the resurrection and the life. You alone are the answer to what really ails us. And so we pray now as we study that you would bless us with the understanding of this passage, that we would know your truth, that truth would set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 17 here in John 11, and so when Jesus came, He found that he'd already been in the tomb for four days. And this is referring to the man that we met last Sunday, uh, Lazarus. And so Lazarus, remember, is a friend of the Lord. Mary and Martha are also friends of the Lord. Uh, These are people that Jesus deeply cares about. And they have been praying. They have been asking. They've been knocking. They've been saying, Lord, we, we need you to come. And Lazarus has actually died. And in fact, by the time Jesus even got the message, Lazarus was dead before Jesus got the word that he was even sick. Now, Jesus being God, of course, knew exactly what was going on. And so this brings uh, into our view this, this principle that we don't like to think on sometimes, and that is that God d- in, indeed does allow Things that we not only don't like, but we despise, we hate. Things that are painful, hurtful, and in this case, tragic. And that is God allows even his friends to taste death. And in this case, prematurely. And now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary 
to comfort them concerning their brother. And now Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went out and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house, and now Martha said to Jesus, and notice this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And there's a couple of things that can be going on in the reasoning of Martha at this point in time. Number one, she believes that Jesus is able to defeat sickness. In other words, she believes in preventive medicine. She believes that something could have been done by Jesus to actually prevent her brother from dying. And the other is that if in that intervening time, that if Lazarus had so chosen, that that Lazarus could have cried out to Jesus himself and actually been prevented from dying. So there is either a miracle in view or preventive medicine in view, one of the two. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And this verse is often taken out of context and often misquoted by those who want to make God out to be nothing more than a genie that does your bidding. And that's not what this verse says. And in fact, the original language is very explicit here. It is what you ask that is of God that God will do. In other words, God's will is in view here. And unfortunately, in this case, God was looking to do a greater miracle, and that greater miracle involved Lazarus actually dying. That's something that we don't like. We don't like sickness. We don't like death, and rightly so. We don't like financial difficulty. We don't like losing our job. We, we hate some of these things that happen to us, and we don't understand why. And so you're going to see the questioning that these, these ladies have of why Jesus would have allowed these things. And while the questions themselves, God understands, the the real issue is not why did God allow it, but what does God want to do through it? What is he going to accomplish? Because he certainly cares, and we'll see that deeply as we continue this passage. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And notice, she kind of gets it. She gets part of it. And probably most of you, as you've walked with the Lord, there are things that were a mystery to you when you first got saved that maybe you understand a little greater. And there are things that are still being revealed to you that maybe one day you'll actually get a handle on. And in this case, Martha actually understands that one day there is going to be a resurrection. Notice what she says. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she has the future view of this. She has an understanding that one day, God being faithful, the Bible says very clearly, the Old Testament would have been all that she had at the time, that there is going to be a resurrection. And those who are righteous in God, in Christ, uh, will be raised in that last day unto life. And those who do not have him will be raised unto death. There is a future resurrection coming. But she hasn't quite believed it personally. So notice how Jesus now responds to her. Verse 25. You can almost see him saying, well, that's not quite what I meant, Martha. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Speaking of something far greater than physical death. Because here's the crazy thing. You ever thought about poor Lazarus? He's in paradise with Abraham. He's that place that's mentioned there in Luke 16. You can read it later. Lazarus has physically died, and so he has now gone to the only place that anyone could have gone before Jesus paid the price for our sin and died on Calvary's cross, which is coming later. So he's in the same place that Jesus said of the thief on the cross who received and believed, today you will be with me in paradise. That paradise is Sheol. Abraham's bosom, divided into two compartments, one for the righteous dead and one for the unrighteous dead. And so here's poor Lazarus faring sumptuously with Abraham, kind of hanging out, waiting for Jesus to finish the work on the cross, and he gets a call from Jesus. You got to come back. I'm really sorry, but you're going to have to do this again. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God has the power of life and death? Do you believe that he has the power of resurrection? Do you believe that one day, because you believe in him, you will be raised? Do you believe this, family? You see, because that's the central tenet of the Christian faith. It's not just mental knowledge. It's literally believing that Jesus Christ himself is actually the resurrection that the resurrection is a person it's not a process it's not a thing it's not something you know jesus as i am is the actual resurrection and the life right now today to all who believe i i live a resurrected life today i'm gonna die one day But I'm actually alive in Christ today. And because I'm alive in Christ today, in that sense, I'm already resurrected with him. Because the life I live, I now live in him. And the life that I live, I live to him. And those things which I do, I now do to please him. He is my life. Jesus is not part of my life. Jesus is not an add-on. Jesus is not an elective. Jesus, in that sense, is the truth, and he is the life. We'll get that when we get to chapter 14. And so Jesus is taking something that was an Old Testament principle that she knew, which she says, I know that in the last days there will be a resurrection of the dead, and Jesus is moving it from the past right into her present to take care of her future. He says, look, I want you to know this now. I am, is the resurrection and the life. He is. Notice how she responds. I I believe the light's kind of going on in her heart and her mind. And she said to him, yes, Lord. Yes, Master. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So she's got the Savior part right. I believe you are who you say you are. 
And when she had said these things, verse 28 says, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. So they're kind of outside of town, likely near where Lazarus is buried, but not quite there yet, as we'll see in a moment. And then the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. She's going to do what is humanly what we would all do when we've lost someone that we love. They're going to follow along and empathize, sympathize as best as they possibly can. And then... When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet and notice she repeats the exact same thing that Martha said. Now, they're two totally different people. Martha is a worker. Mary is a waiter. Martha is a producer. Mary is a prayer. She's on her face before the Lord. Martha's busy doing things, but they both say the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, the fact of the matter is, before Jesus even got word from them, Lazarus was already dead. So God must have something in store for these sisters because he's not into torturing us. He's not into abusing. He's not into bringing things into your life that are unnecessary, but he brings things into your life that he wants to use for his glorious purposes. And therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Not because he needed to know. He wasn't asking Mary, well, I'm really stumped here. Where's he at? It's Lord, it's as if he's saying to her, Mary, why don't you take me there? Why don't you take me to your place of pain? Why don't we go to the place you don't want to go and let's see what I can do with the place that you don't want to go? Let's go where you're going to experience first pain and then you let me turn it into glory. How about we do that? And they said, now the two sisters are together, Lord, come and see. Now you can imagine they're walking towards the tomb and Jesus stops and I I believe what comes next, the shortest verse in all the Bible, two words, it's only found here. The word for wept is found nowhere else in the entire Bible. Because it's not weeping like you see, like when I watched uh, Lupita was the lady that was in that photo that received that first house. When, when I saw the look on her face, I had tears in my eyes. I'm like, man, God, you're so good. You saw her need and you sent a bunch of crazy people from Southern California to go meet that need. And she got a house because you're that good. You see, that type of weeping is me acknowledging that something good happened and my emotions were stirred and and I began to understand her circumstance and how it was changed. 
That's not what's said here. This is Jesus digging into the exact emotion and pain that these sisters were going through. This was Jesus feeling exactly how they felt at the moment that they felt it. This is not just empathizing, this is sympathizing. This is Jesus going, you hurt that deep, and because you hurt that deep, I hurt that deep with you. And thank you, God, that you do grieve with your children that way. God is not a distant God. He's not disassociated from your pain. He's not going around, well, I'm really sorry that Jeff feels that way, but, you know, that's because he's an idiot. He goes through lots of things he doesn't have to. You know, sometimes we're like that, right? You've gotten into painful situations that are your fault. Do you know that God actually weeps over the things that are your fault? God actually cares even when you get yourself into stuff you shouldn't get into. He actually is completely both sympathetic and empathetic. He feels the feelings and he knows exactly what you're going through. Jesus wept. It's like, oh, these two sisters that I love are brokenhearted. It doesn't end there. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. They're looking at it from a very narrow view. Oh, he must have just loved Lazarus. Oh, that was part of it. But he loved Mary and Martha, and he was in agony because they were in agony. When you cry, God cries. Scripture says he actually collects your tears in a bottle. Not one's ever dropped to the ground that God didn't know about. He knows why you hurt, where you hurt, how you hurt. He knows what's made you hurt. And he knows exactly what he's going to do with that hurt. And then some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? You see, they kind of have the wrong view of this whole thing. It's like if you really loved these two ladies, if you really loved Lazarus, he would have done something about it. But the fact of the matter is, not only did Jesus allow this to happen, he's actually going to use it for a greater miracle. And there are things that have happened in your life and things that have happened in my life that I look back on and though I would never have planned them myself. I would have not planned my childhood the way it it played out. I wouldn't have planned it. Matter of fact, for a very, very, very long time, I kind of looked at that as proof positive that there was no God. There couldn't be a God that would allow that to happen to a child. No parent should ever do that to their own kids. And then I realized what God was actually doing. That that brokenness would be a point of connection between me and God and he would use it in other people's lives. You see, I didn't see it that way when I was 9, 10, 11 years old. I saw as my parents were divorcing. I just saw the violence. I saw the hate. 
I saw the hurt. I saw the pain. I saw it as a child. But as the Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child. I perceived as a child. But now I look back on it and go, oh, that's what you were doing. You see, God was at work doing something beyond what they could possibly imagine. And then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. And it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take the stone away. Now notice Martha's response. Because she obviously doesn't quite get it. And you have to admire that she has faith. She's got some faith. She's expressed that. But it's pretty limited. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, there's a stench. He's been dead for four days. So she's actually thinking, I got no idea what he's doing right now. But the last thing in the world you want to do is open that tomb because he's been dead and he's going to stay dead. You see, she's not really believing that God's going to raise him from the dead, that Jesus is going to touch him and raise him from the dead. She believed that Jesus could heal him, but not quite raise him from the dead. Doesn't that somehow fit into your narrative about the Lord from time to time? Oh, I believe God could give me a new job, but cure me of cancer, I'm not so sure. Or maybe it's the other way around. I I believe God can cure my cancer, but he can't give me a new job, never get me out of this financial situation I'm in. We often limit God based on what we think he might be able to do. Let me square away your theology. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing. Nothing. If raising the dead in your life is what he needs to do, he can do it. If it's a new job, he can do that. The only question is, what does he want to do? What is he doing? What is the what that he wants to accomplish through what's happening in your life? And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? You see what Jesus was actually doing? You see, he could have healed Lazarus and stayed at the Jordan River. He could have just said, eh, Lazarus, be well. And Lazarus would have been well. That, that would have been a miracle as well. But he wanted to do something greater. And in fact, in doing what he actually did, now Lazarus is going to be the proof that Jesus is who he says he is because Lazarus is going to follow Jesus around through Jerusalem for much of the rest of the narrative here in John's gospel. (laughs) Say, aren't you, you're the brother of Mary and Martha. Didn't you die? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I was dead. Four days, in fact. (laughs) And then he called me back from Abraham's bosom. And here I am. We helped bury you. Yeah, you did. You see, the much greater thing was not making him well, but raising him from the dead. Now, here's where it touches you. Every last person in this room, 
without Jesus Christ is dead. In a much greater way because you're spiritually dead. And Jesus wants to make you alive. You see, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he hath made us alive in Christ Jesus. And so he's actually giving a picture of a couple of things. Not only do I have the power over death itself, but I have the power to raise you from the dead, which is exactly what he's going to communicate from the cross. It's finished. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's going to provide for something that we can't do ourselves. It's an impossibility. And it's a far greater thing to raise you from your spiritual deadness than it is to raise you from your physical deadness. Because just like Lazarus, imagine the poor guy, he comes back from Abraham's bosom only to die again. He's still got to go through that dying process one more time. So the greater miracle is that exactly what Jesus said is the truth. Though you will die, yet you shall live. Amen? You won't taste that second death of Revelation 21.8. Because you will have your eternal life secure. You see, in that sense, the resurrection is very real. As Orthodox Jews, they believed in the last day that there would be a resurrection. Christians believe the same thing. But that's in the future. And what Jesus is saying, look, I want you to live a resurrection life right now. You see, you once were dead, I want to make you alive right now. Do you believe it? You see, because when you have already reckoned your old self dead, this world has no hold on you anymore. I was already dead. He's already made me alive. I'm going to heaven when I take my last breath. So whatever happens to me, I count it all joy. Because I'm already saved from that death. I'm already going to heaven. I can live my life with reckless abandon for Jesus because I used to be dead, but now I'm alive. So he took this doctrine of the resurrection, which was kind of in the shadows of the Old Testament, and he brought it right into her present, right into their present. He says, look, all of these things that you're going through, everything that you're thinking, I want you to understand this right now. I am the resurrection. And the life. Do you believe it? Do you believe this? Not do you just simply know about it. Not do you think about it. You see, because a lot of people believe in reincarnation. Or, or they believe in some type of reunification at some point in time. You talk to people almost every, yeah, Uncle Bob's in heaven. Yeah, Aunt Sue, she already, she's there, and we're going to hook up later. That's just reunification. Or maybe you're going to have to come back. That's what happened to poor Lazarus. He got temporarily brought back in, in that sense. He, he had to suffer through. 
what most Hindus look at. Some type of reincarnation, made alive again. Look, if I'm going to be made alive, I I would not have wanted to come back from paradise. Sorry. So I would people, you know, jokingly say, yeah, well, you know, I know my, my aunt's looking down and, you know, if she could come back, she wouldn't. No, she would not. Sorry. She ain't coming back. She's with the Lord. There is no amount of bargaining that's going to get them to come back here. It's paradise. Heaven. And so in that sense, he's saying, look, this resurrection is real and you can know it now. And it's personal. It's not just some ethereal thought process that's way up here in the heavenlies that nobody can understand. He says, I am the resurrection. And he who believes in me. It's not something that you think about your future. It's something you are today. I am a believer that is already resurrected in Christ Jesus. It's a surety. It's not something that I just simply look forward to. It's who I am today. And I love that because it makes you live differently. You know, when you travel to strange places around the world and it's dangerous. Now, my brother Chet Lowe is, is off to uh, first Turkey and then to Iran. Matter of fact, I think they've already left. And it's like, he's like, uh, he is like whiter than I am. And so when we travel to places like Iran or anywhere else where, you know, you don't have any pigment in your skin, we kind of stand out. And that usually means you're a Christian. It's not safe. He's like, I'm already dead and I'm already raised. So what can happen? Like, seriously, what can happen? If you get killed, where do you go? Heaven. Oh, bummer. (laughs) And it's not to be flippant about life. It's just to recognize my life is hidden in Christ. I know where I'm going. I know and am persuaded and have believed that he is able to keep that which is committed unto him until the day of Christ Jesus. Period. I know where I'm going. Amen? So if we die here, we end up there. So you live a resurrected life in that sense right now. And look what Jesus is kind of saying to to this family. It's like this. If you're being sued, you want a lawyer. Amen? If you want to be instructed in some specific of science, you want a scientist involved in that. If you... If you're sick, you want a doctor. If you want life, you want the author of life. Amen? So if you want life, you want to know someone who is the life. And that's what he's saying. I'm the life. Too often we kind of take this passage and we stick it into the, the background. And it's like, well, that's kind of a future thing. No, it's a very present thing. And so she looks at Jesus. She says, oh, you are my Lord. You are the Christ. You you are the Son of God because only the Son of God can do those things. 
And as Jesus weeps, as he sheds these tears, as, as Mary's there at the feet of the Lord, which is where we always find her in the gospel record. Three times we, we find Mary, and three times she's at the feet of Jesus. But Jesus is, is saying, look, I, I know what you're going through. And I know this hurts. Uh, and I know you're agonizing inside, but I want you to know something. As much as it hurts right now, I have a plan. And that plan's a good plan. And though you can't see how it's all going to work out, it's going to work out. You're going to be okay. And it drives us to, to knowing that he identifies with, he is acquainted with our grief. He is a man of sorrows. Your Savior loves you so much as to weep with you. Can I tell you, you want to know how you have really good friends? When something horrible happens, they're still there. That's a good friend. Casual acquaintances, when something horrible happens in your life, you can't find them. They disappear. They don't want to grieve. They don't want to be sorrowful. They don't want to spend time agonizing with you. They do not want to bear the weight of your world. Jesus loves you so much that in the midst of your hurt and your pain and your agony, he is right there with you weeping. When you shed tears, the Lord Jesus sheds tears with you. It's like, oh, Jeff, I'm so sorry. It's going to be okay. And so it boils down to what do you really believe? Throughout John's gospel, you see this word over and over and over and over again. And I draw your attention to it. What do you believe? You see, it's not, notice what Jesus says. Well, what do you know about this, Martha? What do you know about this, Mary? Uh, what did you learn when you went to the synagogue? Did they do a class on resurrection? Not have you earned the right to understand this because you spent a long time uh, in, in some type of training program where you got this information right and all of the parts fit together. He doesn't say anything of the kind. He simply says, do you believe? Faith is in view. Because we're saved by faith. We're not saved by understanding. Though understanding is a part of our faith. You have to know Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So knowing the word of God is a doorway to help us understand faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, just exactly as Hebrews 11 says, and yet not seen. So when someone comes and they say, I have faith, I always follow it with, in whom? In what? You see, because if you have faith in faith, you have faith in nothing. If you're just praying because you think you ought to pray and you're not praying to someone who can actually, believing that you have that faith, do something about it, then you're not praying to anyone. Faith is in view. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life is what Jesus is saying? It's a person. It's not a process. It's not just a doctrine. It's the man, Jesus Christ, God's own son. 
And so he says, do you believe this? And throughout scripture, we're forced to answer this question over and over and over and over again. Do you believe this, Jeff? Do you believe that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? See, you have to believe that. Because if you don't believe that you're a sinner, then you'll never look for a savior. Do you, do you actually believe, do I believe that one day everyone will stand before the judgment seat of God? You see, because if I don't believe that, then perhaps I think I'm immune. Maybe I think I'm good enough to pass that. Do you believe that the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many? Did Jesus actually come to substitute his life for yours? You have to believe that. It's believing these things and acting on them. Do you believe that he's gone to prepare a place for you? Do you believe that where he is, he wants you to also be? You see, it's all about believing. It's not just about knowing. It's, I believe it, Lord. Sometimes I think about my mansion in heaven. And I'm like, it is going to be so awesome. I just believe it. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I know he created the universe in six days. He's been working on my mansion for a couple thousand years. This is going to be awesome. It's like, I don't know what he's been doing for 2,000 years, but I know what he managed to do in a few days. So whatever's in heaven, it's going to be beyond my imagining. I believe this. You can call me crazy, but I'm sticking with what I believe. I believe, that's why I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which he's committed under the day of Christ Jesus. I just simply believe. That believing is the link. It's your faith. You see, we could sit around all day and I could tell you, well, I, you know, I really like you. I'd like to help with that. But I can tell you what will happen if I give you an ATM card and say, I really want to help with that, and you go put it in the bank. It's not spitting out anything. But if I give you an ATM card and I say, at the bank, I created an account for you, and oh, by the way, I just put a, a thing on that ATM to where it will actually keep giving you money until you've withdrawn a million dollars. The way I know that you believe that that promise is true is you go down and you stick the ATM card in the ATM, Right? Because you believe that the result of sticking that card in there is that a million dollars is going to come out. The same is true for your account in heaven. You act on it. You say, I believe, Lord, and I'm going to start living my life as though this is truth. This is truth. I'm going home to heaven. I live my life differently because of it. I believe that sin is an offense to God and he doesn't want me to do it. And so the very best I can do is to live as sinlessly as I possibly can. You see, I act on it. My faith results in me acting. That's why James said, faith without works is dead. It's as if you've said something with your lips, but you don't believe it in your heart, so you won't act on it with your hands. Real faith really works. And so this believing, roll away the stone. Watch what happens. Trust me. Do you believe this?
I am the resurrection and the life. And even though Lazarus currently is dead, I told you you'd see a greater miracle. Watch this. And we'll get to that next week. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Amen. I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you joined us today and you've never been presented with the opportunity to believe. And I'm asking you right now, if you're here today, the gospel's been presented. Jesus Christ loves you. He died on Calvary's cross for you. He died in your place on Calvary's cross. He's offering you eternal life right now by simply believing. And if that's you and you'd like to receive Christ right now, I'm just going to ask you to do something very simple. If we'd bow our heads, please, and close our eyes. And maybe you're here today and you've never invited Christ into your life. You've never believed. Oh, you've gone to church. You've gone to Bible classes. You've read religious books, but you've never believed on the only begotten Son of God. And you want to do that right now? I'm going to ask you right where you're at to just simply slip your hand up and I want to pray for you that you would receive that grace gift right now before you leave this place and you can walk out these doors knowing what you believe. Anyone at all? Slip your hand up. I'll give you a minute. I see that hand in the back. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Anyone at all? You don't know for sure right now that if you were to take your last breath where you'd spend eternity, but you want to make it certain. It's as simple as believing in his name. I see that hand in the middle. I see that hand to the left side. I see that other hand in the back. Praise God. I see this hand in the middle. Thank you, Lord, for the work of the Holy Spirit convicting instilling confidence and truth for people to raise their hand and just receive you. It's a free gift. It's going to cost you your life. You're going to live differently. For those that have raised your hands, and I, I see them all over the sanctuary, if you'd put your hands down and we're just going to pray together and I would ask that you would pray out loud, just follow me. Pray these words and church, would you pray for and pray with these that are about to receive Christ? Just follow me and pray out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, admit that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I realize I can't save myself. That you, Jesus, came into this world that I might have life and that life is abundant. I'm asking you to forgive my sin, write my name in your book of life, I ask that you would help me to live my life for you. Thank you for forgiving my sin and cleansing me from my unrighteousness. Thank you for giving me eternal life right now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.